When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's podcast is from our archives in our home team series, which was hosted by guest host Joel Nellis, head football coach at Brookfield Central in Wisconsin. Coach was named the coach of the year this past year, and he does a great job in his program. He also did a great job for us on the home team podcast. The introduction to this one explains the purpose of the home team podcast and why we put it together. And I know this was one that I listened to actually a couple times because I think Coach Lewis really has it together in how he prioritizes family how he makes sure that he's able to stay in the moment with his family. And I think whether you're a football coach or any kind of professional, there's a lot to learn from what Coach Lewis does. Let's take a listen. I am excited to kick off the 2019 Home Team Series with a great interview with head football coach at Kent State University, Sean Lewis. Our guest host for the Home Team Series is Joel Nellis. And in 2018, he approached me with this idea. A question that I had asked of all of our guests was, how do you find that balance between football and all you need to do in your job as a coach as well as balancing that with the top priorities in your life, your family, your, your wife, your kids, your health. And Joel approached me with this idea of digging deeper into that question and basing a whole series around that question. Joel's a former Wisconsin Badger, currently a high school football coach at Brookfield Central in Wisconsin. He wrote a book called Walk On This Way, which shares his experience of walking on at Wisconsin. He's got some great relationships that he's capitalized on. One of his first episodes was with Jim Leonard, who now is the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. I highly recommend that you too Tune into this series throughout the offseason. We're going to air this twice a month. I think Joel shares some great insight from our guests and how you find the balance in this and some great practical ideas. So here we go. Our first episode of 2019 with Sean Lewis, the head football coach at Kent State University, and I will kick it over to Joel. Hello, coaches, and welcome to the Home Team Podcast, where football coaches from around the country provide the coaching community with improvements to their game plans for winning a husband and a father. Today, we're going to be speaking with the youngest head coach in Division I football, Coach Sean Lewis from Kent State University. Coach Lewis became Kent State's 22nd head football coach last December. Lewis brought an extensive coaching resume to Kent State and has one of the fastest rising coaches in the nation over the last decade. He came to the Golden Flashes after serving as a co-offensive coordinator and quarterback coach under Dino Babers at Syracuse. Lewis's background stretches his four-year playing career at UW-Wisconsin under Barry Alvarez to win the 2015 MAC Championship as co-offensive coordinator at Bowling Green. Lewis spent the previous six seasons along Babers, Bowling Green, and Eastern Illinois. In 2017, Syracuse put up 40 or more points in three games and knocked out the defending national championship Clemson 24-27. Syracuse's offense averaged 450 yards and 24 first downs per game. Those numbers were fueled by a fast-paced offense that led the nation in, in snaps per game. Wide receiver Steve Ishmael broke the single-season program record with 105 catches and over and near 1,400 yards and earned second-team All-American honors and was a semifinalist for the Blitton Cup Award. During Lewis's first season with the Orange, its offense set or tied over 40 program records, including most passing yards in a season. In 2015, Bowling Green ranked fourth in the nation in total offense and sixth in scoring offense. Lewis served as the co-offensive coordinator and quarterback coach for Matt Johnson, the MAC's Offensive Player of the Year. Johnson finished second in the nation in both passing yards and touchdowns. All-American wide receiver Roger Lewis finished second in the nation 
in receiving yards and third in touchdown catches. Lewis coached tight ends and inside receivers at East Illinois. The Panthers made the FCS playoffs both seasons and reached the quarterfinals in 2013 with a 12-2 mark. Eastern Illinois' offense was led by San Francisco's 49er quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. A tight end and quarterback at Wisconsin, Lewis was a two-time academic All-Big Ten selection under Coach Alvarez. Current Lewis' coaching career began as the offensive coordinator at Alma Mater Richard High School in Illinois. Lewis transitioned to the college in 2010 as a tight end coach for Nebraska-Omaha. He made stops in the MAC as a graduate assistant for Akron in 2011. Lewis earned his bachelor's degree from Wisconsin Ag Sciences in 2007, and he and his wife, Sarah, have a son, Rory. All right, Coach Lewis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate you having me. Let's jump right in and start talking about uh, what I call the stars of your home team, beginning with your wife. How did you meet this special lady? Ooh, well, Miss Sarah Jane and I uh, first met in Miss Quinn's science class, first period, seventh grade <laughs> at McGugan Junior High. Uh, That's a detail. tall lad. Yeah, oh yeah. So, it, you know, I was a tall lad and was forced to sit in the back of the class so that everyone could see, and I was not obstructing anyone <laughs> with my huge dome. And, um, Sarah happened to sit right down in front of me, and, you know, she caught my eye from then on out and went to high school together and had been high school sweethearts, did a long-distance relationship deal when I was at Wisconsin, and she was at Michigan. So we get along 51 weeks out of the year, except for if there happens to be a, you know, Wisconsin-Michigan battle on the gridiron. Uh, it's still not a fun place to be in our home when that's going down, but <laughs> love my life. And couldn't do the things that I, I do first and foremost, you know, personally and, and to be my true self without her. And then obviously she aids a huge, huge deal when it comes to, um, you know, the things that I've been able to accomplish professionally as well. What is her background and what does she currently do? And then also maybe if you wouldn't mind talking, I know at different points in your career, she's also um, found different ways to be involved, maybe helping in athletics or the football teams that you've been involved in as well. Yeah, sure. So, you know, she she went away to school, like I said, the University of Michigan, paid her own way there and studied um, elementary education. When when she got done with uh, her education at the University of Michigan, she, she jumped right in, got a job right out of school and taught second and fourth grade elementary in the suburbs of Chicago, all the while going back and getting her, her master's in linguistic studies. So she's obviously the bright one out of the combination. And uh, she takes great joy in listening to my press conferences and different things that make it out onto the interwebs like this and telling me how terrible I am with the English language because she knows all the ins and outs with it. When when we got married and went to you know Eastern Illinois when she when she moved in with me and, and everything, uh, she stepped out of the the teaching realm so to sense in in terms of being in the classroom at the elementary level helped out with the men's basketball team as their academic advisor at Eastern Illinois. When we transitioned to Bowling Green, she got a adjunct professor role at, at Bowling Green, teaching in the School of Ed there, teaching phonics. And then when we moved to Syracuse, she was seven and a half months pregnant with our, her first child and has been really holding down the fort at home and is doing the most important job of all, raising our children and being what she affectionately likes to call herself the household manager, which is a full-time 24-7, 365 job. <laughs> yes, that is very accurate. I think we all can acknowledge that uh, <laughs> that role, that job title. What is the character trait that makes her so invaluable in your life? Um, You know, she really does a good job of processing things. I, I think I can be emotional and passionate, and she is very – analytical. She absorbs things. She doesn't make spontaneous decisions. So when it comes to, you know, decisions in the home, decisions professionally, things when it comes to uh, kids within our programs, the things that we're going to do to raise our own children, she does a really good job gathering information, processing everything, taking her time with the decisions. And then when we make the decisions, we go and we attack it, you know, full bore together, which is which is great. It's, it's a good yin to my yang because I'm very instinctual, very gut feel. And I think the combination of the two really lend well to one another. 
All right, let's uh, let's talk about the other member at current time of your starting lineup, and that is your son Rory. Uh, maybe you want to give us some details about him and maybe what his interests are at the current moment. <laughs> so Rory, uh, good old Rory Michael Lewis, is uh, our, our first child, um, and he's two and a half. He'll be turning three in March. Uh, current interests right now are eating and uh, anything with a ball. He is a ball of energy. <laughs> I mean, in his playroom, I think we have every single Fisher-Price plastic set of sports toys you could possibly imagine, from basketball hoop to hockey set to golf balls and everything and anything in between. So he is, a, I mean, he's a typical two-and-a-half-year-old boy. Loves building things. More importantly, loves to build things to break things. And anything involving a ball, he is all about. Yeah. I love that age to an extent. Like you said, it's build the break. It's nothing about keeping intact. It's just about destroying. No, oh, not at all. I mean, anything within a mile radius that he can destroy, he is looking to do, you know, and that's, that's what boys are, are meant to do at that point in time. I mean, they, he is just, we just get done with all the holiday parties and everything. And I have a three-year-old, soon to be four-year-old nephew and the two of them together, I mean, it was who could build something as fast as possible just to destroy it. And it was amazing to watch the two of them interact. <laughs> I can only imagine. Let's let's move into a section called We Make the Call and discuss how your family has navigated some of the important decisions throughout your career. You know, we all know what it takes to be a coach. And obviously, you had started to begin at the high school level after graduating from Wisconsin. How were those early negotiations about the career move to go into college coaching? Well, at that point in time, my wife and I, we were just dating, but obviously I've been dating for a very long time and I knew that she was the one for me, but still need to have the conversation about, you know, I, I was looking to make the jump. I knew that I was kind of going to be doing a disservice to myself and to a high school if I continue to stay on the track of being the, the high school teacher and high school coach, because I knew I wouldn't be fully vested to the teaching component of things. And I would be cheating the students in the school that weren't football players, quite frankly. So you know, my wife and I had a conversation about all that, and she was great and, and you know, gave me the support that, that I needed and, you know, said, hey, you got to follow your dreams, follow your passions. And, you know, now's the time to go make this run and, and to do this to see if it works out as opposed to, you know, waiting to when we had a family and we were married and there was more variables, you know, in the equation. So she gave me her support. And, um, you know, that, that first move when I left the high school ranks and, and went out to Omaha, Nebraska, she stayed back and because she had a great gig teaching there and had a place of her own and with what I was making, um, was in no position to, to ask her to leave. And then, you know, the first couple moves, again, it was kind of status quo to where she was stable and kind of my sugar mama of sorts uh, as I was making next to nothing, you know, going from the D2 level to GA and then finally getting the call to be a full-time coach at Eastern Illinois. And then year two, when we got married, we got married in the spring after my first season at Eastern Illinois. She moved down to Charleston, Illinois in the spring before year two there. And then, um, you know, got on a great run with Coach Babers and knew that we had a great thing going with him. And that led us to Bowling Green and to Syracuse and ultimately, you know, the decision to get closer to the Midwest and uh, the opportunity to be a head coach here at Kent State was something that we thought long and hard about, but we knew it was best for uh, our family, first and foremost, with having a little one, getting him closer to grandparents, to family, and then also professionally, the opportunity to be a head coach at one of 130 FBS institutions was something that we didn't want to pass up. Was there anything that she said to you during that process of thinking about applying for the head coaching job that maybe you took more to heart or, or let you believe you could do that? Um, I think all along the way, especially with this, this last jump that we made of being a head coach, again, her vote of confidence and, and her unwavering support has always been instrumental. You know, when, when she's always, again, assess things, process things, and, and as we talk through, you know, why this would be a good situation and why it would be the right situation for us, and at the very end of that conversation, it was just like, well, it sounds great. Why wouldn't we do it? And I know that you can do it. You know, when a lot of people told me that, you know, whether they be friends, associates, whatever the case might be, but when yeah, your wife yeah, tells you it, I said, I said that. You did say that. You did say that. <laughs> um, but, you know, when, when your wife tells you that and 
obviously she's she's in the profession she knows the business of things but when she looks at it from her perspective which is different from anyone else's and she gives you that vote of confidence it, it gives you uh, a surge of belief in in yourself you know like hell yeah we, we, this is the right move this is the right thing to do and it gave me the energy to pursue it you know full bore and, and to give it everything that i had so that again i didn't have any you know, regrets about the way that I prepared for the interview and the opportunity, much in the same way when she gave me that vote of confidence, like, yeah, go be a college coach. It, 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 it gave me the confidence and the freedom to go attack what I was pursuing because I knew that she thought about it logically. And again, what I was feeling emotionally, she had processed through and I knew that it was the right thing for us to do. When discussing having kids, um, how did you guys decide to make that decision for it to be the right time? Well, it was something we always knew it was what we wanted. I guess it was more of a matter of, of timing. And, um, you know, again, it, for as long as we were together, we never lived together. So there was this expectation with family and friends that as soon as we both graduated, hey, we were going to get married and jump right into it. And and we waited. I mean, there was time between when I graduated in December 07. She graduated uh, the spring of, of 08. And then we didn't get married until the, the spring of 13, you know, so we took some time um, to, you know, re reestablish, reidentify with, with all the changes that are, were going on to make sure that that was the right thing for us to do and, and that our relationship was going to be able to sustain all the way through as it grew and developed um, from this junior high, you know, uh, relationship to high school to college and now to to real world and then we we did very much the same thing when we were married you know we kind of didn't put a a timetable on it but we knew that we wanted to yeah I guess maybe you call it selfishly a little bit we wanted to live together with one another for for a little bit and and experience the joys that that was of just being together being together in the same city and and experiencing life together day in and day out and that was awesome that was a, a great time in our life and then ultimately you know ended up being three years later rory joins our world and you know we are every day transitioning with the the differences and the challenges that you know a little one brings and their development and the variable that that brings to your relationship you know which like anything in life people tell you to be prepared but there's nothing that they can say to prepare you for for having children i mean it's a, a guy i worked with reno free at syracuse he was funny he's like the best way i can describe it is just it's going to be no baby, no baby, no baby, no baby, baby, and everything changes <laughs> in an instant. <laughs> yes, it does. No doubt about that. All right, let's move on to the third series of questions called clock management and kind of how you spend your time to blend family and football. Um, you've obviously had some different transitions. Maybe give our listeners one recommendation about the moving process and one thing that you would suggest avoiding. Ooh, um, I, I guess they're kind of one and the same, and that's always include your wife on the decisions of where you're going to live. Don't do not do that on your own. It, it, it is when, when we the, – the options were limited in Charleston, Illinois, so I was the, the young, gung-ho, hey, I know what's best for our family, and made that decision all on our own. And it was best case scenario. I, I still claim that I was right in this whole deal, Joel. And of course, of course, of course you were. <laughs> we all know you're but, not, but that's fine. I mean, you can tell yourself whatever you need to. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it was the one move where my wife was was not necessarily included, or or I shouldn't say she didn't actually physically walk in and experience and feel everything that that was going to be a part of that move. Um, so that made things a little bit difficult, especially with her moving away from her place for the very first time. And every other subsequent move, she's been obviously very, very involved with where we are moving, where we're going to live, and where we're going to call home, um, you know, for, for the time being and, and for the ultimate future. Um, so include, include the missus and where you're going to live. I know that it works for some other people that, that they don't. I mean, I, I've, I know some buddies in the, in the profession that have, you know, literally bought and sold homes online without even stepping foot in them because they know that they're going to renovate them. And I just, I don't know how, how they deal with the anxiety of that. God bless those guys. <laughs> no question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't even want to think about it anyway. <laughs> um, 
other than weekly dinners, which I think most coaches agree that they pretty much do on a weekly dinner or a weekly dinner with their wife, um, what is a small thing you do to help your marriage during the season? Um, I mean, so you're talking like weekly staff dinners or like the weekly date night type deal? Well, like, yeah, I mean, most guys usually do that. The answer we typically get, if we were just asked a general question, right, would be, hey, yeah, we go out to dinner on Thursday nights, right? And that's pretty standard. What sure, other things, sure. you know, what is something else that you do that may be small or big to help man help your marriage during the season, help make sure that doesn't fall apart so you're not in, you know, recovery mode uh, for the rest yeah, of the year? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think the, the one thing that I've been fortunate, whether it, it's – I was extremely fortunate when I worked for Coach Babers. He, he was huge about family, and the football offices were, were always open to family members. So – I've carried on the same thing at, at Kent State and, and our, not only for my own family and for my own marriage, but, you know, Sarah and Rory know that they can drop in whenever they want. And when we talk about family, obviously there's our, our intimate family, my wife, my son, my dog. And when they come in, regardless of what's going on, they're the priority. And every single one of my staff members knows that it's the same. So, you know, there, there's times where it's a, a Wednesday or a Tuesday and we practice in the morning. So, you know, when we get done with the practice tape, we'll have a daily staff meeting uh, around three thirty or four o'clock, depending on the day. And then there's a little bit of downtime, you know, before we kind of get prepping for the next practice. And my wife knows when that window is and, and she knows that she can drop in whenever she wants, or if, you know, just, Hey, my, my two-year-old son is having one of those days and she needs, she needs an hour to herself to go to the coffee shop or to go to Target and just do something without a, a two-year-old boy wanting to destroy something and, and her having to corral him. She can bring him to the office at any point in time, and I already know it's going to be a long night. On, on most nights, particularly earlier in the week, I'm sure like with most guys that you've talked to, you know, we're, we're going to be preparing long into the night. So if it's a Tuesday, I, I can take an hour during a Tuesday and, you know, give my wife some freedom so that she can go get a coffee. She can do whatever it is that she needs to do for herself so that she can be her best self. So in turn, she can be the best mother and the best wife for us at home. So, you know, I think that's kind of unique. And that leads to wrestling matches in my office with my son or, you know, us rolling a golf ball around the hall of the football facilities just because he's again fascinated by things with balls and, and he wants to to roll a golf ball like let's do it but that's awesome um so just that open access at, at any point in time um she knows that she has and, and not only does she know that but every single coach's wife in our program knows that they're able to do that and you know it, it's not uncommon for one of our coaches to be changing a diaper on his desk or for you know, a, another one of the kids to be running up and down the halls of our facilities at any point in given time um, as we prepare during the course of a week. <laughs> That's crazy. But I like it. I think it's a unique twist. A lot of guys will say open door, they come have dinner. But like you said, you're, you know, you're going to work and, you know, there may not be convenient breaks during the day. But if you kind of have that idea of like, hey, well, we'll just work till 11 or we'll just work till midnight and I could get that hour in, I think that's a huge, a huge bonus. So. Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing, right, is that work when your family's sleeping, right? Like that, like we know that we work crazy hours. So mm. why work the hours when your when your family's awake when you can spend time with your family? Like we'll have guys that will run home for for bedtime or bath time or run yep. home for a dinner or you know something happened at school and, and they need to run home so that they can be home for a family dinner and discuss in real time, you know, when someone gets off the bus, what's going on, what happened, what needs to be addressed, go, go handle that. that there, there's nothing more important than that. The football work is going to be there. And I know with myself and my guys, the football work's going to get done. I, I don't worry about that. I want to make sure that my guys know that they, they have the freedom to, to come and go to, to take care of the most important thing in their life that makes them whole, which I think for all of us is our family, at least for all the people probably that are listening to this, it, it's their family. Otherwise they wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Um, that that they have the freedom and the flexibility to do so. I just got the phone word. The last interview I just saw with Coach Bullis, and, and this question for him was folding laundry. But what is one thing <laughs> you do on a semi-regular basis to help out on the home front? Uh, <laughs> garbage is a must. That 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 falls under my category. Cleaning up dog poop is something that I do on a semi-regular basis as well. And then um. The loading and unloading the dishwasher, 
like I, my wife hates the way that I load the dishwasher. And again, <laughs> I, I think that's because she's very process oriented in the way that she does yeah. it. And I'm just more like, Hey, it's a game of Tetris and it's going to be different every single time. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I will, uh, I'll, I'll do the dishes quite often as well. Gotcha. Yeah, but I get yelled I'm at a for dip. the way that I do laundry. So I, I can't do that. Oh, well, Hey, <laughs> I'll gladly take that. I'm really good at, I'm really good at like putting in the laundry. It's the folding part that really doesn't get done. Like we have lots of baskets of clean laundry, but not a lot of baskets of folded laundry. Or <laughs> then the folded laundry makes it upstairs and doesn't get put away in drawers. And so anyway, yeah, that's story. I, I'm a major culprit of that. Like Sarah will just leave the basket, you know, in front of the dresser and all her stuff will be put away very, very orderly. And mine will sit there for, for weeks, dare I say months. On end. It's bad. It's bad. Other couple of questions I typically ask, I'm going to refrain from since you kind of covered it with sort of your open door policy, but maybe specifically because I know a little bit more about this story. You had um, one of the questions I usually ask is, um, you know, have you ever had to leave uh, attending an event during the season for your kid? And obviously your kid isn't old enough, but I know you had a, a trip scheduled with your wife to Ireland and there were some predicaments in your schedule. What, what made you decide to take that trip? And how did those discussions go with your head coach at the time? It was one of those things where we knew as a, as a family and for my wife and I, we, when, when I, when my son was born, that it was something that we were going to do year in and year out. We were going to take a trip as, as husband and wife, you know, to, to stay connected on a, on a macro level, if you will, aside from all the things that we do daily, weekly, but we were going to take, take a, a trip each and every single year. And we had circled, you know, that Ireland trip for, a very long time, and it was something that I was pretty steadfast on that that we were going to do. So um, made sure that all the ducks were in a row, and and, and you know, kind of let my head coach know in the right way, as, in the most respectful way as possible, that yeah, hey, I was going out of country, and I'm not doing the Verizon International service subscription, and I'm going to turn my my cell phone off, and my my position group is good, my side of the ball is good, my recruits are good. And if someone can't respect that, that, hey, it was a seven-day trip, two days of travel, five days abroad, and if, if they couldn't respect, you know, that time, that, that, that buffer that, that I needed for my soul, for my relationship, for, for my family, then those weren't people that, quite frankly, that I wanted to, to associate myself with. And Coach Babers was great about that because, again, family was, was paramount to him, and it was something that, Again, I outlined well in advance with him, and all was good. The majority of my prospects were good with it, um, and and life went on, and in accordance the way that it was that it should, and the way that it did. And it was a very, you know, rewarding and refreshing trip, you know, to, to be able to then come back. And I was better as again a, a husband, my for myself, and and as a coach. So all parties that interacted with me knew that it was something that we needed, that I needed, and, and worked out for the best. That's awesome. And I, I remember hearing about that story and I know you were, you know, there was concerns initially, but like you, you knew you had to do it. And I think that's very awesome that you stood by that conviction and that it all worked out. And like you said, no one, you know, nothing, nothing ill happened in the, in the time that you were gone and all, all just went along as normal, which is great. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think at times, right. Like we, <laughs> we put so much stress and, and, and pressure on ourselves as coaches within our football bubble, but in the grand scheme of things, like, the, the world's going to keep spinning. It, it's going to be okay. Yep. And like, that, that's the, the one thing that like, you, you got to be able to detach and enjoy yourself and enjoy your family and put the cell phone down and know that everything's going to be okay. Because you, you always feel that there's another text to send, another DM to send, another tweet to put out for whatever it is that you're selling. And I'm guilty of that, especially as a head coach and building a program right now. Like, you have to be able to detach. You have to be able to let go, and you have to be able to be present in the moment. It's huge. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, alley-ooping this next question because that's what's to follow. Uh, how do you manage <laughs> your phone? How do you manage your phone time when you're at home? So, you know, th there's a very finite amount of time when, when I get home with the age of my son um, to, to have with him and to be present with him. Uh, so, so when I come in, you know, especially saying – Obviously, when it's when it's in season, like we discussed, the, the time is limited, whether it be, you know, the Friday morning of a home game when we don't have to travel or Thursday when we get out early. The, the biggest thing that I'll do is that I'll come in and if my son's awake, I, I put my phone up right next to my keys because I'm going to have an hour, maybe an hour and a half with him. 
And during that time, unless there is, you know, a handful of prospects or a dire emergency, nothing's going to interrupt that time. And, and that was something that Lester Herb, who recruited me when I was at Iowa and, and is a great associate and, and, and I'll, I'll say mentor in this profession, he told me, he was like, hey, you're always going to think that you need to take every single recruit's call. And he's like, there's truly a handful of recruits each year that you're going to talk to that will, that you absolutely need to, that you need to talk to them when they call you or, or there's, or you can just get them, get back to them. It's, it's not a big deal. So don't feel like you need to take their call right away. So that time I'll put my phone on do not disturb and it goes on the shelf and, and I don't look at it until I've put my son to bed. I've had an opportunity to connect with my wife to see what's going on with the day. And then, and only then will I look back at my phone and see, if there's anything that I've missed. And again, the, the majority of times when I've done that, Joel, it, it's, there's not a whole lot that I've missed. You know, like in right. this past year, there, there was in, in one full year of being a head coach on the job, there was one Thursday where like that routine had to get interrupted because uh, a highly recruited athlete that ended up, you know, committing and signing with us in this early signing period wanted to commit. And so, Everyone on staff was blowing up my line from the recruiting coordinator, the, you know, the director of player development, the area coach, the position coach, the OC, everyone's blowing me up. And finally they got a hold of me because Sarah walked by the phone and was like, you're just like the damn bat lights going off over here. And <laughs> then I looked at it, and, you know, realized what's going on. But again, like I was out back playing <laughs> with playing baseball with my son and he's, you know, hitting the whistle ball and away we go. And it wasn't until she grabbed my phone and said, you probably need to take one of these 13 missed calls. And I was like, that probably, but again, because that's my, my staff knows, Hey, Thursday at that time is sacred to me. And, and I'm going to protect that time like a lion or lioness would their cubs. Like you're, you're not getting in that window unless it is something of extreme importance. Yeah. I like the fact that you just said that, you know, 90% of the time, nothing, nothing really happens. And I think that's always a good nothing really happens. for a lot of guys to, yeah, I mean, like, like we think about all the things that can happen, and and you, you'll you'll drive yourself half and cr crazy, right? But yeah. by all the possible scenarios that can come out, as opposed to just, hey, it's gonna be okay. Like, right. you'll be all right. Go, go again. Go be present with your family, and whatever does happen, like, okay, fix it thirty minutes later. Fix it an hour right. later. But like, it's just become our, in our nature as a society, right? Because everyone should be available at all times to me. Like, no, that's not the case. Like, Hey, I'll, when my schedule allows, I'll get back to you. Unless it is a absolute emergency. Hey, then I'm on it. Then I'll be there for you. But if you're just calling to talk, well, when, when it's convenient for me and my son's asleep again, we'll, we'll talk then. Right. Like, yeah. Cause he sleeps. Yep. As much as probably everyone would like to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The sleep that we'll never get back. Uh, exactly right. Which is, you know, there's a common saying that the person with the marker last will win. Um, and for those listening, I don't know if they understand how um, how well you understand your system and what you guys do. I think you're one of the best in the country at this. And how do you avoid being too analytical and as our good friend Jim would say, uh, you know, diving down the rabbit hole and maybe then spend unnecessary time preparing. How do you guys as a staff control that a little bit to make sure that you're not, you're not just off your rocker and, and spending unnecessary hours planning and preparing for stuff that you probably will never run or, you know, undoing all these crazy situations. So the biggest thing that Coach Babers taught me in my time with him is that it doesn't matter how much you know if the kids don't know it. All that matters is what the kids know. So we have an unlimited amount of time because this is what we do 24-7, 365. And so I can chase ghosts left and right and make sure that we have an answer for everything, or I can make sure that the things that we do, our kids know, really, really well, and we've practiced it enough so that they they do it right every single time, right? Like, there, there's a great Bruce Lee quote that I absolutely love, where it's like, I, I don't fear the man that has a thousand kicks that he's practiced once. I fear the man that has one kick that he's practiced a thousand times. We are, and it, if you look at, we are going to be simple. 
and we're going to do what we do. Now, I say simple because it's simple to us, but it's very complex to others. But because of what we do, our kids know the answers. So whatever your scheme is that our kids are going to see, I know they have the answers to the test, and now it's up to us to make sure that during our course of preparation, when we have the kids present in front of us, that they get the info that they need. So when the test comes on game day, they're prepared for the test. But, I mean, I can scheme up to where I'm blue in the face and come up with a lot of great stuff. But if I do that each and every single week and my kids only got 20 hours in the week to prepare for it, they're not going to get good at anything. So why, why chase my tail in that manner? The final set of questions we'll call prevent defense. Um, that's hopefully providing some bigger picture things so that other coaches can prevent losing what's most important. Um, and the first question, can you share a struggle you've had to overcome as a family during your career and what you think other coaches can learn from it? Um, I, I think the biggest thing, and this is still ongoing with my family because it's, it's, it's fluid and, and ever-changing, is that don't think that the the methods or means of communications and, and what worked at one point in time in you and your wife's relationship when you first got married to five years in, you know, is, is going to hold up. You, you need to, you need to make sure that you are constantly communicating and, and that you're on the same page, especially as you, you know, particularly as you add children into the mix and as your roles change and your wife's roles change that what worked before is it may not hold up. So, so you have to constantly have the open lines of communication with that and don't be afraid to ask your wife the question, how am I doing as a husband? Like you, it, you, you have to ask that question and hopefully your wife will be honest to give you some honest feedback so that you can be better in the areas where you need to be better. And you have to be willing to, ask that question, which is scary because she's going to coach your ass up and she's going to give you some, <laughs> some good coaching points. And for all I of know us Sarah coaches, will not, I know she will not hesitate to give you feedback. I am well aware of that. <laughs> no question. So, you know, you got to be able to, to humble yourself and, and allow your ass to be coached up so that you can, you can be better in your role so that all the roles and all the caps that you're wearing go smoothly. But, you know, it was something that I made the mistake of the way that we communicated when we first were newlyweds together, you know, I thought that would hold up and that'd be fine as, as, as I went from a position coach to a coordinator and now a head coach and our family grew from, you know, just having each other to having the dog who just made a cameo by barking not too long ago in this deal um, to, you know, how the, you know, our, our son Rory as well. And, and it's, and it's, ever-changing as the demands of, you know, life get increased, which is great. You just have to communicate and, and, and map out everything that's going on so that everyone's on the same page. And it's something that, again, to this day, you know, I, I can do a much better job of. And it's something that my wife and I are very aware of with the way that we communicate and exchange information, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, heck, yearly at times. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I talked to uh, talk to kids about it's a, it's a lesson that can be applied all all over the place. Like kids move on from from high school to college and all always staying together. And I'm like, yeah, you probably should, but you just need to know that it's going to change, right? There's going to be something that need, you can't it cannot stay the same. Like if you believe that you're going to have the same relationship in high school where you see each other every day and this and that, like you're you're fooling yourself, and that's where it'll fall apart. So if you can manage those changes, and from the sounds of it, it sounds like you guys have more so increased your communication maybe as things have gone along. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I, like it, it was – there was kind of a, a weird ebb and flow, I guess, to, to our communication from the time where, you know, we were together seeing each other every single day in high school, like you just mentioned, to long-distance relationship, you know, when we were in college and you're on, talking on the phone, so there was like kind of those, those daily calls and everything mm -hmm. to same deal when – we were when I was in the younger portion of my career and we were living apart to then, you know, it, it was interesting when we, when we moved in together to where, okay, now we didn't have those daily calls because well, heck we were seeing each other each day, but the communication kind of wasn't as great because we didn't have those daily calls, even though we were seeing each other each day, if that makes sense, you know, like yeah, there no. wasn't the, okay, Hey, this is the time where we're going to talk. And so we have, 
we've we've gotten better about that and and really you know that has helped with things tremendously makes sense um by seeing your commitment to your family how do you think that helps your players grow as men i i think it's just the the example that not only myself but the whole rest of the staff sets you know to where they when the kids drop by the office and they see the families in the office like they, they see the the visual proof that the, the proof's in the pudding that if you make yourself available and accessible and, and this is what it looks like to be a husband and a father they have a real tangible um piece of evidence if you will of what it's supposed to look like and how you handle all the responsibilities uh that, that come along with being a husband being a father and quote unquote being a being a real man you have a, a saying that you like to to live by and that's be the alpha do you want to uh maybe unpack that for some of our coaches and, and how you feel like being a great dad and a great husband also ties into uh green being a great football coach as well yeah sure so you know the the whole be the alpha deal started back when we were at eastern illinois and, and something that i packaged uh with the position group that i wanted each guy to you know be a leader of their own life and and, and really each person to, to be a leader of, of their own life and i have a strange uh, um connection to wolves and, and that kind of started when we got our our dog because i it was the first dog that we had gotten um where my father wasn't going to train him so it was on me to to train him and, and there was this really cool story in there about how each each wolf pup when when he or she is is born that all they know all their aspirations is, is to become the the alpha of their pack and, and kind of a misnomer but a lot of alpha wolves are female wolves because of the way that they care and protect and love for others and as we so eloquently pointed out that you know females will set your butt straight as my wife does on the regular and as all our wives does so mm -hmm. it's not too you know that uncommon to have a a female alpha wolf but the the long the short of that story was that when those wolf pups are are born all they know is that they're going to be the alpha a and they are going to work and strive to to better themselves each and every single day so that one day they can lead the pack and and so I was like, man, if every single one of my players had that goal, had that aspiration, and was working in all phases of their life to be the leader of their own life, and in turn, you know, we would then have the best position group on the team, then, then I've done my part as a position coach. And so that has really grown and evolved as my career has grown and evolved to where, you know, when I took over as, as quarterbacks coach and as the offensive coordinator, Hey, same thing applies. Like, let's have everyone in every single unit, you know, be the alpha of their own life. They have passion and a purpose and to lead their own life so that each and every single day when they wake up, they can do great things. And, and so this goes into everything that you are, you know, obviously athletically, because that's what, what everyone resonates to first. And with the amount of time that we invest in our sport, you know, we they're still keeping score and we want to win. So we need to be the best at what we're doing and, and get that done. But obviously beyond that, I want our, our guys to be the best students that they can possibly be. I want them to, to live the best life socially that they, that they can live. And I want them to grow spiritually if they're ready for that growth and development in their life as well. And in doing that, they are leading their best lives and they're becoming the best young person and best young man that they could possibly be. So for us, that is our daily mantra of, of be the alpha lead your life with passion and purpose so that no one else is using you as a tool to accomplish their goals and their vision and you're a pawn in what's going on with them. So we'll sit down with our guys and every single January when we get back for phase one of winter conditioning, which we'll do here in a couple of weeks, we'll sit down and have goals and expectation meetings for winter conditioning and for spring ball so that guys are really targeted and purposeful of what that means for them and what their passion and purpose is going to be for those first two phases in our spring semester of how they can be the alpha for themselves and to move Kent State to a championship level. That's awesome. That's a great explanation. I honestly have never heard you talk completely about that, but I know it's something you've been very passionate about, and I think it applies to coaches at every level um, and, and really that goal of taking those guys and, and helping them grow to be men that eventually, like you said, own their own lives. And, you know, hopefully that happens sooner rather than later, but we all know that happens at different times for different players. So.
Right. It, it really does. And it's something that unless you you are purposefully thinking about it, right, it, that will that will never happen. So it, it it helps lead that conversation that our position coaches, that our coordinators, and that myself can have with all of our young men that you need to know what direction this thing's going to take. Because especially for, for the young men that are under our care, their, their identity and their self-worth for a very long time, for the majority of their life, has been that they're football players. And so at some yeah. point in time, that's going to come to an end, sooner rather than later. And if you don't start thinking about that now, you know, what you're going to be when you're no longer a football player, that's a, that's a tough bridge to cross for a lot of young men who have gotten their self-worth from just being, you know, Johnny All-American. Well, yeah. the, the real world's not going to care about you being Johnny All-American when you're 30 and you're no longer playing ball. Like, what, what value are you adding to your wife, to your family, most importantly to yourself so that you can be a great, you know, member of society and contributing on a lot of different levels. How do you make your players feel that they are valued um, more than just their performance on the field? A lot of guys will talk about, oh, we have them over for dinner, and so they know we care. But I think that there's other things that maybe coaches do, you know, to check in on their guys. Or how, how do you feel? How do you make those guys feel, hey, it's not just about what I can do for this program or for Coach Lewis. He really cares about me beyond that. I, I mean, you know, like I guess from a uh, – materialistic side of things like uh, we we got all of our guys suits this year and it's something that we will do year in and year out um within our program because again i think a lot of people say like hey i care about my guys and i want them to be prepared for the real world well you know quite frankly there's a good chunk of my team that if we didn't buy them a suit they weren't going to have a suit that fit them for when they get their first job interview post-college so i want to make sure that you know that guys look good feel good and perform good you know, when, when it comes to interviews and, and having a suit that, that fits their newly developed body that we've been working so hard to develop in the weight room for on the football field. But now, hey, now you have a suit to present yourself to a potential employer and they can walk in and really focus not about their appearance because they know they look sharp and they can present themselves in the best light for that job opportunity. So that's one thing on a materialistic level that we do you know beyond that I think it's just a lot of daily conversations Joel with with your guys and just you know having a feel and again by having them over to the house and getting to know them as you recruit them you know the way guys tick you you know what the look is in their eye when they're doing well and you know what the look is in their eye when they're when they're off and being able to just hey put your hand on their shoulder put your arm around their neck and say what's going on how are you doing how's your mom how's your family how's your aunt how's your how's your dad and, and get to the heart of what's happening you know like I mean tough days come when you're in college and the, the girl that you've been dating broke up with you. you you bombed a test and your position coach is you know barreling down on you like that happens that that's that's life we've all been there we've all had those moments and you need to have conversations with the guys to know where they're at so that you can have them connected with you much, much deeper than just the wins and losses and their stat line at the end of the day. That's awesome. Um, what is one thing that you've changed the last three years that helped you be a more effective coach? Um, I think the idea of, like I mentioned earlier, of working when when my family's sleeping, um, I, I've I've shifted like my personal workout time. I was a, I was a lunchtime workout guy to where now I'm an early morning workout guy, so that I'm, I'm taking the time that that I need for for myself, so I can be whole to myself. But and again, also be available to my family when when they're up and when my wife needs me. I'm available to her. Um, so it's not necessarily one, you know, a, a, a schematic coaching change, but by doing more when my family's asleep, when from the time when my son was born, I guess I've learned w what you're capable of on less sleep. I know I wish I had the gift of Coach Gruden of, you know, only needing four hours of sleep each night so we can maximize the, the full day. But, you know, I'm a solid about six hours of sleep and, and I'm good and I can go on with what I need to do and, and function where I need to. And it allows me to be more present in, in all areas of my life. 
All right. We're going to move on to the last question here, and uh, it's what I call victory formation. Um, Best formation. Yes, exactly. Now, we've got to ask you this. You're shotgun victory formation, right? No under center or, you know. No, we're being... under center, man. You know, hey, you can't take the badger out of me. We're, we're still going to go under center. We can't lose those rushing yards at the end of the game like that now. <laughs> that is a very good point. That is one thing. Uh, our JV quarterback did a great job this year. We were fortunate to be in good victory formation every time. And <laughs> he made sure to take a couple gallop steps uh, forward and then kneel the ball to our rushing steps. <laughs> there you go. Well coached. Uh, yes. Oh, I did, he did it on his own. I was pretty impressed, not going to lie. So, oh, even better. Um, even better, yeah, he he gets it. So, um, you know, when the outside world looks at a coach, uh, they will judge them based on the wins and losses, uh, the accomplishments of certain players. Um, but the potential legacy of a coach can have on his players and his family can be much more of a lasting value that really can't be measured in by any one category or statistic. Uh, what is the legacy or impact that you are striving to create, specifically through coaching, that maybe you couldn't do in any other profession? I mean, a lot of that is that be the alpha mantra and that when a young man comes through our program after four or five years in our program and being around our staff, our families, and our football family, that he's going to be the, the best version of himself to enter into society. And because he spent time in our flash pass football family and lives his life with a be the alpha mindset each and every single day to, to better himself that wherever he goes, he's going to make the people around him better. And that will create a ripple effect that will be far more important than any number of sacks, picks, touchdowns, wins, losses that are ever achieved in between the white lines. Perfect. We appreciate your time, Coach Lewis. We're looking forward to uh, watching you guys get the wagon wheel back next year and continue to build that program up. Um, you know, it's something that I know that you have the passion and vigor to do and you got the right guys, the coaching staff. I know a number of them are ready, you know, ready, willing and able to fight for that cause. And uh, we hope and we know the players will, will come along right along with it. So we appreciate your time and thank you for joining us. I appreciate you thinking of me for this, Joel. And we're really looking forward to staying connected to you, man. And looking forward to see where this goes for you as well. It's a neat idea that you got going here and, and it'll be valuable information for a lot of coaches out there. Thanks again for tuning into the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. I'm happy to be able to share some of these from our archives for our new listeners. And I'll tell you, there's just a lot of great content in here for those of you who heard this before. There are things that I go back to and take notes on as we hear from our coaches and our great guests. Stay tuned. There is new content coming. I plan on that being around November 1st. We'll be filtering in some new podcasts here and there as we go through some of the best from our archives and get ready for a relaunch on November 1st. If you are enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes and click five star for rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We appreciate it and it helps the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.